Welcome to Crime and Reason on Talk Zone, bringing you the backstory in high-profile crimes that television leaves out. Now, here are the hosts of Crime and Reason, John Kelly and Leo Badenhausen. Welcome back, everybody, to Crime and Reason. I'm Leo Battenhausen. And I'm John Kelly. Welcome back and good evening. Glad to have you here, and uh, thanks for uh, tuning in again. We have uh, uh, two two really disturbing stories to cover tonight. One, a big injustice uh, of parenting. It's an example of terrible parenting. And another of... Uh, Injustices in our penal system, which we will get to and um, and look at a little closer. But before we get started, John, I want to update the listeners. Did uh, you hear the news about this German Wings co-pilot story we covered some time ago? This Andreas Lubitz. Yeah, we nailed that one right out of the hot boy. I think we did, you know. But we're seeing uh, sources from uh, German newspaper Bild are saying. He practiced this crash and descent on uh, on the outbound flight from Dusseldorf to Barcelona the same day as the crash. So you know, he was you know he had this whole thing uh, pre premeditated and you know and to take that plane and those people down. And I'm sorry that that diagnosis of depression still doesn't fly right with me. No pun intended. Yeah, medical medical uh, site. Yeah, I'm sorry, methodical psychopath is what we're looking Absolutely. at. Absolutely. Just wanted to let you guys know that there's probably still more coming out of that case, and um, we'll keep you posted on that. But, but our first big story is a lesson in terrible parenting this week. I would say, John, I don't know what your take on it is, but we're talking, of course, about the, um, the case of um, Ashton Sachs. And uh, Ashton Sachs uh, was a 21-year-old, 19-year-old? No, yeah, I think he's ni- 19, 19 right? going on 20, yeah. Okay. Yeah, this kid comes from a very rich, very well-to-do family who apparently had family problems as they were growing up, John. I mean, this kid had the world around him. The family had millions and millions, like $900 million or something like this. Yeah, $80 million. Okay. Eighty million, eighty million dollars at the uh, at one point it kept fluctuating because they were heavily heavily involved in uh, real estate. They owned a mansion in San Juan Capistrano. Okay, that's you know nice life for uh, for a kid and a family. Now I understand the mother was the productive one in the family, the entrepreneur who really made the money, and she married a guy who liked to go skiing and running, and that sounds like a guy who really didn't do much at all except live off of her money. Yeah, and- I don't know. I don't know exactly what his involvement was, but you know, it was kind of a turbulent relationship. Yeah, in many ways, I think they had uh, what three kids of their own, and they adopted two from this uh, from the Ukraine, something yeah. like. This. But but this woman, I mean, if you read the story, she she was very busy, very busy with her business, making money. Doesn't sound like she had a whole lot of time to parent, in my opinion. I don't mm-hmm. think she was home very often. So, and you know, in cases like these, the kids are left to their own devices. They have an endless cash flow to, you know, spend money and maybe in her mind that was good parenting, just give them what they want and let them do what they want. You know, and this husband of hers, I'm not sure what his story was as far as um working. However, at one point they were divorced and he called her uh bipolar with very strong mental problems. 
Uh, so I don't know what was going on there. There was a mention of that in this article. But uh, they, yeah. they got, then they got back together at, at, down the line. So a very, very sick family. Like We could see that. Yeah, they, they got divorced. They actually went through the divorce. Yes, yes. And then, and then they got, they reconciled after the divorce. He did have something to do with, uh, computers. He was into computers. He did own some type of computer company with her early on before they yeah, really moved into, uh, before she really moved into the real estate. And they had, they had a nanny living there. So you're right. I mean, the mom was not home very much at all. Right, and we know how that usually goes. But so this kid Ashton, apparently had he he witnessed his sister drowning at some point in his childhood in a sauna or a hot tub. Correct? Is that the story? Yeah, well, see, I don't even know if he really witnessed it. I know this traumatic situation took place, and it was traumatic for the whole family. But I don't. I'm not even completely sure. That he witnessed it. I mean, I think okay. he, I think the experience, the experience, you know, went through the whole family system and, and shook it up pretty bad. But I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if he witnessed it or not. But however, you know, they're, they're claiming that he uh, suffered some post traumatic stress from childhood over that. All right. Well, let, let's get to the, to the uh, upshot of the thing. This guy, uh, he was, he, 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 he killed his parents. Correct. He shot his parents. He wounded his sister, or shot at his sister. I, I don't think. I think the parents were the only two killed. But he went on this shooting rampage at the house, in which he killed the parents. Okay. Yeah, he did. He did wound one sister. He missed the other sister, and uh, you know the bottom line is that. You know, this was uh, this was premeditated. Now, of course, this is all alleged. Right. We have to say it's alleged. It is alleged, even though he admitted this to police in his statement. Well, the, we, what he we have said is alleged. Yeah, we'll say it's alleged, but the one's very interesting. Yeah. What he, he after he was arrested by the Orange County Sheriff's Department and detectives, he he was asked. He didn't have a reason as to why he did this. He was quoted as saying, "quote unquote," just a lot of problems. His yeah. life, he said, was, quote, his life, he said, was, quote, unquote, effed up. Mm. And he'd stopped going to school. He spent his time smoking pot and playing video games. Said he didn't trust his parents. Who said he made, they made him feel like crap by favoring his sibling, his siblings. This is a 19 year old. So his plan was to shoot the couple and then kill himself. He told the, the detectives, but of course, he's still living. Yeah, so I don't he know how true. Kill himself. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he was going to kill himself. Okay, so, you know, there's a story. He has no answer. That was his answer for as far as a rhyme or reason for this crime. I say the guy's just a narcissistic, um, selfish psychopath. I mean, there's yeah, no other words. He's spoiled, spoiled. Murderer. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying about poor parenting. This kid, you know, was left to his own devices and... um at one point, his mother was concerned about, you know, she, okay, this is another thing with what these parents do. You know, they'll let their kids do what they want till a certain age, and then they start getting concerned. Now, I guess this kid was about 18 or 19 when his mother got, came to him, uh, concerned about the amount of time he spent playing League of Legends and World of Warcraft video games. Video and t- games. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then, uh, 
he, he had broken up with his girlfriend at that point, you know, and then he, he took an overdose of pills is what the report says here at that time. <clears throat> and he told the police that his parents' re- reaction to the overdose was surprisingly casual and it said, quote unquote, they really didn't take it serious or acknowledge it. So, yeah, you this know, is, this is, this is, this is like bullshit. Excuse me. I mean, all the way around. I mean, this kid is so spoiled, is so narcissistic that it's all focusing back on, oh, you love my brothers and sisters more than you love me. You know, I mean, this, this, and after all they did for months, sorry, Leo, but it, it, go ahead. No, you're right. And then what they did after the pill overdose, the remedy for this, and now get this, mom of the year. The remedy for this Ashton's ills was to, uh, you know, to, to give him a clean slate, move him to Seattle in 2013 near his brother, uh, get him into college. They bought him a condo for $233,500 as well as a brand new white uh, Toyota Prius. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is what they did to solve poor little Ashton's problems. And apparently that didn't work because he was driving that Prius when he came back to the house to shoot them all. Yeah, and they found they found the uh, rifle that he killed them with in that Prius. You know, the other thing we want to bring out here as well is this kid wasn't only playing video games; he was smoking a lot of pot too. Right. Mm-hmm. And he admitted that, and and I have to tell you that's a very very bad mix. Very bad mix when you have uh, a narcissistic personality disorder and you're smoking pot and all you want to do is play video games and be taken care of. You know, Leo, you and I have seen a lot of clients over the years and we've seen a, a lot of kids, 17, 18, 19, 16 over the years. I mean, I got to tell you, probably the worst diagnosis, even though it's not a diagnosis that we see is a spoiled kid. A spoiled kid is harder to treat than, you know, a kid with uh, ODD, uh, ADHD, um, depression. I mean, when you get a spoiled kid for a client, I mean, you've got a problem on your hands, especially when you have enabling parents. Well, that's the problem. You know, it always does go back to the parents, you know, and you got to be on top of your children. If they're sitting there, right, and spending hours on end, day after day, you know, in a dark room playing um, video games with murdering and killing, and they're going to sit there and stew on this because somewhere in their head is thinking, they're thinking, and I have to believe this, doesn't anybody give a damn that I'm sitting here doing this? I really don't think they're conscious of that. But somewhere in their mind recesses, that's building. That anger builds and builds and builds, and you see an explosion. Not in all people, mind you, but in a lot of cases. You know, spoiled people that like to play video games all day and get called on it. You know, it's easier to point the finger and say, you know, mom and dad were not nice to me, and that's why I did it. But there might be some truth to that. There, you know, I'm not blaming the parents. Nobody deserves to die. Absolutely. But I do think that when these, you know, some of these young kids and the spoiled kids are sitting there, something in them knows doesn't anybody give a damn what I'm doing? Yeah, well, you you and I both know that adolescents are always looking for structure, you know, it can, and and it can be uh, pretty uh, conscious or 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 on an unconscious level. But adolescents, at their root, 
want somebody to help structure them because they're running in all different directions. And you can't keep throwing money at a problem. I mean, they had this child uh, who was acting out, not accomplishing, not doing, kind of just enjoying a college life in in a nice big condo out there, townhouse or condo, whatever it was. And they kept enabling him by sending him money in order for him to buy his marijuana, to continue to buy video games. I mean, she also texts them. I remember she, her texting yeah, him saying... That's you know, a mixed stress. message here, John. Yeah, it's terrible mixed message. It's a terrible mixed message. It's like, you know, it's it's the enabling parent, you know? Like, look, at, let me... I don't have time for you. Let me just throw money at you. Let me just throw money at you. You know, I mean, uh, that that's a very mixed message. I care about you, but not enough to get in the car and get out there and go over everything and check your marks and go to school and see how you're behaving in college. I mean, the follow-up really wasn't there. It was about sending money and telling the kid eventually, I'm not sending any more money, go get a job. Well, I mean, then, right, you come into this kid now, when he's 19, and what she did text him, you're right, I'll quote what she texted him. Now, mind you, he's 19 now, spoiled rotten. You're very ungrateful to a wonderful mother. Okay, that's what she told the kid, and uh, that was given to the grand jury to look over. And she writes, I really don't owe you anything. You need to grow up. You need to grow up now. I mean, she didn't write that. I'm saying that. Now she wants the kid to grow up. What is he, the her her concern du jour? You know, she's got a minute now to think about her kid who's sitting around doing nothing when she thinks he should be working and he thinks he should be more responsible when she never enforced that for his 19 years of his life. Now it's time, and she expects him to change because she said so. Come on. Come on. This is You see this all the time. All the time. Yeah, you know, and it's... A- Go ahead. You're right. I was just saying, they don't all become kids. They don't all become killers, these kids, but they do become slackers and you need to hold their hand to get a job, to pay a traffic ticket, to get their driver's license, to go clothes shopping, to do whatever the hell they need to do because they don't know how to do it. And it's Mm -hmm. sickening. Yeah. And the parents, see, the parents, you know, again, have to be parents and it's, 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 it's hard work to be a good parent. It's hard work, but. The bottom line is you're going to get out of your child what you put into your child. Okay. And it's not just about money. It's, it's about, you know, behavior and care and concern and setting structure and setting consequences and setting boundaries and helping the child build their self esteem. And I am so sorry that this woman was murdered by this kid. Unfortunately, you know, there are not a lot of enabling parents out there and, you know, they won't suffer this extreme fate that she suffered. I feel very terrible that this oh, happened to her. But the bottom, the bottom line, Leo, is, you know, th- this kid just went off the rails and we had a bad mixture here of video games, pot. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, he was really indulged. And neglect, John. It's parental yeah, neglect. Yeah, neglect too, yeah. yeah it is, and this it is, is this is a lot of what we're seeing. You know, let's bring it back to a criminal aspect. You know, in the rioting that's going on in Baltimore, the looting, just the general overall um, uh, defiant, defiant behaviors that we see in children today. You know, we've got to keep an eye on this because this is what we're breeding, this type of 
behavior and, and this type of uh, non-caring society, as I wrote about in Social Side, and I'll say it again, we're, we're not doing our job as parents. We need to, you know, we can't expect our kids to turn into adults at 19 after we've given them a life of privilege and not been on their back as a parent from the day they were born until the day they, you know, decide to uh, turn 18. You know, it's too late. It's very much too late. And then they, then when you have parents get angry at them, I, after all I've done for you, well, it doesn't work that way. And then criminals, this is probably why they're so full of themselves and, you know, feel like they can get away with sometimes murder. So we'll see what happens with this case. But, you know, let's, that's why uh, this is really, really important because I'm all these kids you hear about the shootings in the schools and these random uh, mass killers. They came from similar situations. I do believe that's true. For the most yeah. part, right? They've lived lives of parental neglect, let's say, or over-parenting, which is another story. But, um, you know, this is what we really need to keep an eye on as parents and as a society before it just gets out of control any further. Yeah, parents need to step up and be parents. They They don't need to try to be friends. See, this is where parents get caught up. They want to be friends with their child. They need to be parents and parent their child. Their child has a lot of other friends. Their child has friends. They don't, they're not looking to their parents to be friends. They want their parents to be parents. And this is where, you know, the rubber meets the road. I mean, this, it's not easy to be a good parent, especially today. However, that is the job you chose. And it's, it's, and from what I understand, it's, it's going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to love to do in the end. Exactly. It's the most rewarding thing. And there's no better privilege in this world than to to be a parent if you choose to do so. There's plenty of people out there that would love to have children, but for some reason can't. So, you know, let's do our jobs. And we'll keep everybody posted on um, this this, um, this Ashton, Ashton Sachs case. And, and we'll be back. We have another story to tell you about in the... Yeah, maybe even more disturbing. Hang on, we'll see you in a few. Extra Healthcare Services was founded in 1991 by Executive Director John Kelly. Our outpatient drug and alcohol counseling centers provide an individualized approach to treatment with a strong emphasis on building self-esteem in our clients and helping empower them to take effective control of their lives. Our program has had an extremely high success rate because our board-certified and licensed counselors and psychologists design a program just for you or your family member to help deal with alcohol and drug abuse. We specialize in addictive illness in both adults and adolescents. Our entire team is committed to helping you or a family member become healthy. Our alcohol and drug abuse counseling centers are located in Middlesex, Monmouth, and Union Counties with both day and evening appointments available. Call 732-721-3835 or email us at info at extracarehealth.com. That's 732-721-3835 or info at extracarehealth.com. By the year 2020, depression will be the world's second highest diagnosed medical condition in the world following heart disease. 
Millions of people are suffering with depression and sadness. People ask, is depression treatable? What's causing this epidemic and what can we do about it? Psychotherapist Leo J. Battenhausen's book, Defeating Depression, The Calm and Sense Way to Find Happiness and Satisfaction, has helped thousands of people reclaim their lives. He's a licensed clinical social worker and clinical alcohol and drug counsellor. Leo J. Badenhausen shows people how to identify, address and overcome common misconceptions about life that cause many to live in misery. The book that has a five-star rating on Amazon.com is filled with priceless information to quickly bring the reader into a brighter frame of mind and assist in enjoying life to its fullest. Defeating Depression, the common sense way to find happiness and satisfaction by Leo J. Battenhausen. Available at select bookstores, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It will change your life. Now, back to John and Leo for more Crime and Reason on TalkZone.com. John, what do you think about a, you know, a guy who has spent 15 years in prison for sexually abusing two boys and has a longer history of sex offense dating back like 20 years and gets released uh, and 18 months later he's, he's picked up for molesting seven children? Yeah, he's not supposed to be let out. He's not what? supposed to be let out. No way. John, this guy, Michael Shepard, 35 years old, okay, we, we, we've gone over this, this case. He's from Florida. He did 15 years in prison for sexually abusing two boys, like I said, okay? He somehow got himself released. I guess his time maxed out. Within well, um, one psychologist that, that evaluated him thought he'd never offend again. Very likely to never offend again. And the second evaluation was on the fence about it. I, I have a real problem with this, with these pedophiles that get short-term sentences and are then trusted uh, upon release to not offend again. There is no cure for pedophilia, John. Do you care to argue with that fact? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very angry at this Dr. Karen C. Parker who testified on Shepard's behalf. I could see this guy schmoozing her up and getting her on board to testify for his release. Let me tell you something. There is no cure for this. And, and, 15 years later, this guy gets out of prison after 15 years. The first thing he does is go after kids. Yeah. First thing he does as soon as he gets out. Of course. It was, and then they, the report is that he, he, uh, he attacked and abused seven kids um, 18 months after he gets out. But that's probably not an accurate number. It's probably more. Others probably just never came forward. Isn't that normally how it works? I'm, I'm yeah, sure that's how it had goes. Seven people. He was a serial pedophile. He is a serial pedophile. And these these witch doctors who work for the penal system, I, I just don't get it. I don't get, you know, now they, they should be held accountable, too, for letting this guy go. There is, I, there's no science to this. Why? When is this country going to wake up and say pedophiles deserve a life sentence at best, at best? I would yeah, say and, worse. And they're just they're just lucky. They're just lucky that he didn't turn after doing the fifteen years, turn from serial pedophile rapist into serial pedophile killer. Because let me tell you, I mean, these guys don't like to live leave 
They don't like to leave any witnesses after they get done doing whatever they're doing, especially after witnesses testified against them and they did time over it. So that right away, they're very focused on witness elimination. But I don't think he could, Leo. I don't think he could kill any of these kids because this guy conned the parents in the neighborhood, even though they knew that he was a registered sex offender. He was able to con parents in the neighborhood into allowing him to babysit their children. <laughs> now, we're, we're talking about parents here. Again. Where were those parents that they would let a registered sex offender who had signs? He had to put signs out as part of his probation around yes. his house. And in the area saying that he was a registered sex offender. Oh boy, here's a registered sex offender <laughs> in the area. How about coming over and babysitting my kids? You know what? I'll tell you what, no problem. I'll bring them over to your apartment. I'll bring them over to your place to babysit them. I mean, this I is mean, insane. And especially is. in Florida, it really blows my mind. It's, it's unbelievable and it's incredible, right? Where is the brain in these parents? First of all, we talked about that other male that was sexually abusing kids who was a babysitter. What 35-year-old man babysits, number one? Number two, what sexual offender, known sexual offender, is a babysitter, you know, after he gets out of, out of jail. He, I think he, you know, he, he really minimized the charges though, didn't he? When he talked to these parents, not that it matters. He said he had been in prison for a Romeo and Juliet romance with a, with a preacher's daughter. Come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what? but of course, what's he gonna say? I mean, uh, but know, they I bought mean, it. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, how do you know a pedophile's lying, right? Yeah. And how do you roll the dice with your kids? In well, other words, you don't know if he's lying. You don't know if he's telling the truth. So what? Let me roll the dice with my kids and let him take the kids and babysit them over in his apartment. They said he was luring kids all around the area with candy, video games, and trips to McDonald's. Right, and he was riding them around on a scooter too, John. Yeah, there you go. Don't I'll give you a ride. Come on, yeah, yeah. get on, yeah. And you know, and then he's accused of what's called horrific sexual acts on seven children, both boys and girls. His youngest alleged victim is five years old. All of them were or twelve years or of age or younger. Come yeah, on. how about that? And boys or girls? Boys he or had girls? No preference, boys or girls, and he and he took some of them to his hideout in the yes, woods. Yes, that's called. right. Take, take it to the, my hideout in the woods. Yeah, what a what a pal, what a pal, you know. And so, what he really gotta take a, the, what a, the system from the penal system down to the parental system here has just completely failed these children, completely failed, and that they're all criminal in my mind. From the doctors who let him out to these parents who trusted him with their kids. I mean, what are we looking at here, America? What are we doing? People are scared to death to let their kids walk down the street, but yet you're letting your kids get babysitted by a 35-year-old ex-con serial pedophile that's got signs all over his house saying a sexual offender lives here. Yeah, he's a, he's a pedophile with papers to prove it, and they and they they let him babysit uh, babysit their kids. You know, he should have been kept in prison. I mean, here is another perfect example of somebody that's been behind the walls for over fifteen years. As soon as he gets out, he reoffends. You know, this isn't like a drug addict getting out and relapsing. When no. you have a sex offender reoffend, 
He's not destroying himself with drugs. He's destroying another human being's life. And I, I, I just don't know, you know, uh, how that's going to hit home. And especially in Florida. Florida's supposed to be pretty tough. I don't, this guy's got to be a real charmer, boy, the way he manipulated all these people. Well, I think they all are, John. I just, you know, there's, um, Florida has what, like, other states have the, uh, Megan's Law. Um, they have the Jimmy Rice Act. Um, that's, um, a Florida law that allows sex offenders to be kept behind bars, past their sentences if they're likely to reoffend. Now, I don't know how he'd be right. He, he conned his way out of that. But, you know, when I worked at a psychiatric hospital here in a state facility in New Jersey for, uh, five years, and we would get a lot of the Megan's Law cases that were maxed out on their jail sentence because they were found, you know, um, not ready to be released yet uh, to society. So what do they do? They put them in a psych hospital. Not a good place for them. Not where they belong. They're not psychotic. You know, they're not. They're putting um, those people in danger, in my opinion. But let me tell you, these guys that came up from from sex offender uh um, sentences to a psychiatric facility were the most arrogant, entitled, demanding, annoying, rude, and and just regular scumbag people I've ever ever met in my history working at Greystone Psychiatric Hospital. They are just they do not belong there. They need to be stay in prison. So I don't know the Jimmy Rice Act in Florida must be similar to um, the Megan's Law. Uh, up here in Jersey. So um, <clears throat> how he slipped past that, I don't know. But we need that. That needs to be looked at. And I, I hope there's somebody's somebody's heads roll for this one. Oh, there's going to be there's going to be heads rolling on this one. Well, how can there not be? I mean, this is this is, this is inexcusable. And like you said, these kids now they'll suffer the rest of their lives for what this guy's done. And do you think he cares? No, he don't care. He need he. They they needed to keep him right off the street from jump, okay? This guy should have never been left back into society. But again, I mean, you know, what are we going to say? I mean, how do you, how do you, you know, diagnose somebody like this? I mean, you 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 have to diagnose them by their past behavior. Of course, I mean, their past behavior is going to be the best predictor of their present or future behavior. This guy was selling himself in prison, okay, and having sex with inmates in prison. Yes, yes, he was. Sexually a- active in prison. What what makes them think that when he gets out of prison, he's not going to be sexually active? The fantasies are going to start. He's going to want to have that power and control over a child again. He wasn't out a month, Leo. He wasn't out a month when he had a young boy come over to his apartment that he was babysitting. The young boy said when he woke up that morning that this guy raped him a month after he was out. It didn't take very long. He was probably, he couldn't wait. No, that's all they think about. That's that's all they think about. The fantasies are, are, are consistently, constantly in their every in their mind, every waking hour. I mean, just mm-hmm. just like a serial killer, it's it's very similar. I mean, all all that's going through their mind is their next conquest. 
And you're right. I, I completely agree with that. But you know what? Remember we covered that that judge in California, I think a week or two yeah, ago, yeah. Who, who empathized with with another uh, child abuser. We had the the four year old girl that walked in when he was playing video games. See, like, do do, do do these people not understand? Like, when I talk about these people, I'm talking about these psychologists, these judges, these attorneys. Like, do they not understand? And I don't think they do what it means. When you're diagnosed and found to be a, a serial pedophile or a pedophile in general, it's it's like it's a, it's like having diabetes. It doesn't go away, you know. And then I won't even compare it to diabetes. It's a bad comparison, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. There's no hope for these people. And some would argue that and say, "Oh, I've seen. You know, we've had groups and this and that, and they transformed them. They, you know, no. Uh, uh-uh. I wouldn't take the chance. I wouldn't put my name and signature on any papers for these people." Absolutely not. The odds are always against them, you know, n- not reoffending. They're always, um, they're always, like you said, they're thinking about it 24-7. And this guy's in sex having a grand, uh, having sex in prison, having a grand old time, probably schmoozing everybody, like you said. that Those narcissistic ad- tendencies can convince people uh, a lot of different things, you know, and get them. They know how to work people. Honestly, oh, yeah. He's, he's working these parents, right, to get them to let, to let them babysit their kids. They're manipulating all the time to get what they want. I'd like to know if this Dr. Karen C. Parker, who testified on his behalf, would let him babysit any of her kids. That's a great question. (laughs) Yeah, she's willing to, 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 to throw the dice down the table with somebody else's kids and gamble on him not offending and crushing some child's growth, spiritual, emotional, and, you know, traumatic uh, uh, growth or life or how or, or destroy their life completely. She's willing to, to gamble that with him leaving and her testifying for him. I mean, you know, that's quite a gamble. You know, when you think yeah. about it, that this isn't Atlantic City throwing the dice down the table to make a couple bucks. This is about, you know, you're throwing the dice down the table and you're gambling some child's life. Exactly. Nothing is more important. And you know as well as I do, John, we've had countless conversations about who, people that are in this profession of psychology and counseling. <laughs> it's loaded with crackpots, let me put it that way. It's loaded with people who have so many issues of their own. That's probably why they go into this field to begin with, which is completely wrong. But I've heard stories from clients for years about the the crazy things counselors or psychologists have done or suggested they do while they're going to outpatient counseling and getting treatment. It's that's a problem. And like I wonder, you know, not to demean or belittle anybody who works in a prison as a professional psychologist. But what are you doing there when you're not able to, like, work out in private practice? You know, I always have that question in the back of my head because I've worked in the system and I got out of the system probably for that very reason. It was it's kind of you're kind of told what to do in a lot of cases. I don't know if that's the case here, but certainly her professional opinion now has cost at least seven children a lifetime of who knows what and um Trauma and disorganization, dissociation, who knows? Does she sleep at night with that? Well, you know, that's a good question because her decision costs these kids their innocence, okay? And and there's no, 
you know, there's uh, no short answer to that. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, her decision caused these kids their innocence. Did you know that most pedophiles are men, but one in 10 are women? So 10% of all pedophiles are women. That's an interesting statistic. It is an interesting. Well, I guess we're seeing more of that. We've covered these teachers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when we, we have more of them to cover in the near future. They just keep coming, John. <laughs> Tell me what. Yeah, they don't stop. They don't stop. Yeah. We've got, we, we were reading about another one recently, you know? Yeah. Oh, it seems like one a week is, is coming out in the news. And yeah. I, that's a must, that's like a whole other diagnosis in itself, a whole other trend being set here. Mm. So, um, they're coming out of the woodwork, uh, women's rights, I guess. They want to be pedophiles too. Is that mm. the way this works? <laughs> Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm not sure what's going on with these teachers. I'm waiting for a diagnosis to come out on these female teachers that yeah. are having sex with their male students. But just getting back to this guy for a second, you know what the warning signs are usually for this type of predator? Tell the listeners, please. Antisocial personality disorder. What does that low, mean? Low self-esteem. In other words, this guy does not care about the social norm. This guy does not care about society's rules or regulations or other people. Uh, it's the newest term for sociopath. Right. Uh, and it's the newest diagnosis for sociopath. But bottom line, somebody with antisocial personality disorder really doesn't care about you know, any of society's rules, regulations, feelings, or has any compassion uh, or very little compassion for anybody but themselves. And all they're focused on is, uh, you know, their uh, gratification. But also they said the number one warning sign, number one indicator is child porn, that these guys are very, very much into child pornography. Well, I'm not surprised at that. And it seems when people fool around with that stuff online, they, they seem to get caught pretty quick, I think. Don't they? There must be like a red flag in somewhere. As soon as yeah. you hit a site, like they come at your door, and they know. I, unless it's very, you know, they keep themselves very clandestine. I don't know. Yeah, well, they they try to hide. And, you know, you hear about these arrests taking place. But i got to believe for everyone that's arrested, 10 aren't. Well, I mean, that's sure, usually right. the rule of thumb. At least 10 aren't. And, um, you know, so it begs the question, how many of these guys are really out there and really active? And, uh, you know, they're really charming. I mean, look at we've seen all the priests that were pedophiles. Sure. I mean, the, you know, they they will do whatever they have to do to gain a parent's trust so that they can uh, – you know, get into that uh, family system, and mm -hmm. once they're trusted and they're in that family system, look out because they'll start to uh, condition uh, a child, and they'll start to maneuver a child and manipulate the parents. And uh, you know, the only thing they're interested in is uh, you know their sexual gratification. Right, and they they do they position themselves in positions involving children. More than not, correct? Like, uh, they get themselves into coaching positions or, you know, uh, 
uh, student leader position. So, you know, keep an eye on that if you have kids involved. You know, if, if anything, any activities seem to extend past the, the given job of the adult in charge, like if a coach should just be coaching. There should be no trips anywhere. There should be no out and abouts anywhere, that kind of thing. I think should also people should keep in mind when their kids are involved with certain sports and uh, other activities that involve an adult supervisor. It doesn't hurt to check anyone out. Today it's pretty easy, and uh, if your child's involved with somebody and uh, they're interested in having the child come over to the house and they're interested in taking the child on a trip, of course, you know, they're adults. Uh, but if you are going to uh, allow them to uh, entertain your child, to be with your child, and you're going to give them that privilege, then you have the same privilege to try and do a background check and get them checked out and learn as much as you can about them because your child is your most valuable asset. Mm-hmm. Good point, John, and good stuff. Well, we're going to be right back. We'll take a quick break, and we got something else for you, so stick around, please. We are raising a generation of techno-savvy and social media-obsessed kids. There's a lack of real human connection and concern for our fellow man. Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by licensed clinical social worker Leo J. Battenhausen explores the new generation of young people and how they are turning into godless people with narcissistic and psychopathic tendencies. Americans have become so obsessed with themselves that their country's once great bedrock of dignity and respect is crumbling from underneath us right before our eyes. Isn't it time that we regained our confidence in spirituality and the existence of a higher power? This and so much more is explored in the book Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by licensed clinical social worker Leo J. Battenhausen. Social Side is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, FaithBooksAndMore.com, and SocialSideInfo.com. Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by Leo J. Battenhausen. Welcome back to Crime and Reason on TalkZone.com. Here are your hosts, John Kelly and Leo Battenhausen. Leo, I got one for you here. Welcome back, everybody. I'm, I'm excited about this one. It's, uh, you know, it's a case I've watched over the years and, uh, you know, one of the worst serial killers I've ever researched, Jeffrey Dahmer, known as the Milwaukee Cannibal. And, and this is, this is about the guy who killed him. His name's Christopher Scarver. And, you know, he's just starting to speak out. He's just saying, you know, this is why I killed Jeffrey Dahmer. And what he went off and said is that he just could not stand Jeffrey Dahmer's morbid sense of humor. Now, this Scarver was no day at the beach himself. He killed his wife. But, but Scarver turned around and took a metal pipe that was in the weight room, and he beat Jeffrey Dahmer to death with it, and he also beat Jesse Anderson, who was Jeffrey Dahmer's friend in prison, to death with it as well. I mean, this guy didn't fool around, this Christopher Scarver. He ended up getting two more life sentences besides the life sentence he was serving for killing his wife. So now he's doing three life sentences, but he's talking about it. 
And, and Leo, you know a little bit about, uh, what, what kind of games Jeffrey was playing here. Well, that, that's the sickening part. And I don't, I don't blame this guy. I think he should get a medal for being a hero and doing, uh, justice the way it should have been done to begin with, with this creep. But right, he was, um, he was positioning his food, his food he would get in jail, like body parts when using ketchup with, for blood, you know, taunting, his, his fellow inmates and making a joke of who he was and what he's done. And he, uh, he would even say to some people like, you know, I don't bite or, um, you know, I'm hungry. Yeah, I don't bite. I, I don't, don't bite. bite. Yeah. So, you know, here's yeah. how serious this guy was taking his, taking his jail sentence. So, um, you know, this stuff, you know, when you're in jail, the littlest of things are going to get on your nerves. This is not a little thing. This is a huge thing. You know, and no wonder the, no, the wonder, if this guy, uh, Scarver didn't kill him, somebody else would have. I have to believe that. Especially with this guy's attitude, Dahmer's attitude. Yeah, you know, he was trying to intimidate other people there. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, right. How much of that can you take? When you're in prison, I'll tell you what, if somebody gets an orange bigger than you, you could die for that. Little things mean a lot in prison. And that this guy who comes in there, this, this wussy guy, I mean, he's not only was he a, uh, a serial killer. He's a pedophile. He's a, he's a, he's a cannibal, you know, and he's a homosexual. So he's got all these things going against him and then he's prancing around, you know, not that I'm drudging the homosexuality, don't get me wrong, but in prison, there are no rules. And this guy's walking around in this kind of an attitude. No wonder this guy couldn't take anymore and just, you know, said, what the hell? I'm gonna, I'm here for life anyway. I'm gonna do everybody else a favor and get rid of this guy. Well, you know, the other the other part of it is that I think, you know, we got to inform the audience a little bit about Mr. Dahmer. Mr. Dahmer was everything you said he is. I mean, he's a serial killer subtype lust killer. I mean, Dahmer loved to torture his victims before he killed them. He loved to emotionally uh, not only torture, but completely inject fear in them while they were going out on a sedative uh, that he mixed up for them and put in their drink. He would go out to various gay bars and he would find young guys that he could pay to have sex. He would then have them come over to his apartment. When they would come over to his apartment, he would mix a drink for them. In that drink, he would put a strong central nervous system depressant. I think it was some type of benzodiazepine. Mm-hmm. Diazepine. And what would happen then is they would start to nod out. When he got them to a point where they were comfortably numb, if you will, he would tie them with restraints to the chair. While he had them tied to the chair in restraints, he would show them a picture, a movie of Exorcist Three. He wanted them to see Exorcist 3, and he really got off on seeing the fear in their eyes as they're watching Exorcist 3, and he's telling them he's going to kill them. And when he does finally kill them, he's going to chop them up, and he's going to eat them. Now, this is this is a very rare subtype serial killer, uh, a lust killer and a cannibal. But that is Jeffrey Dahmer. So now he goes off to prison and he starts to play this stuff with the prisoners there. And you know what's interesting? What's that? As I said earlier, 
you know, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Do you know when he was in high school, he did similar stuff, you know, to taunt kids at the school? I school, did high, not, did the, he? the high school he went to. Yeah, not like that, though, with body parts and ketchup for blood and stuff. But he, he was a gamer. He was fooling around all the time. He was, you know, called the class clown. You know, mm-hmm. so he shows up now in prison all these years later. He's going to clown around. Well, guess what? He clowned around with the wrong people. Absolutely. Because okay, this guy that he ran into, I don't know if you know this or not, this guy suffered from messianic delusions. Okay? What's that? Messianic That's a- delusions. That's a messiah complex. So, in other words, this guy was evaluated and was deemed to be alcohol abusive, schizophrenic, and have messianic delusions where he believed and and this is Mr. Christopher Scarver, that he was working with the Lord, working for God. Oh, really? Yeah, and and he felt this Dahmer was nothing, nothing but evil, and 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 he felt, I guess, this uh, this uh, friend of Dahmer's, this Jesse Anderson, who was with him at the time, was one of Dahmer's minions because he was always. Uh, Yucking it up and laughing with him at uh, at what he at what Dahmer was doing, so he killed both of them with this metal bar. Right. Yeah. So he. So, I think that other guy was, uh, as you put it, one of Dahmer's minions. You know. Yeah. And, um, well, Cigarver had said uh, he crossed the line with some people, prisoners, prison staff. Some people are who are in prison are repentant, but he was not one of them. So, you know, right. So here's this guy, and if he's got that Masani, what do you call it? It's a messianic delusions, if I'm saying it right. Well, M-E-S-S-I-A-N-I-C. Not, mes- you know, it's not Messiah, but it, 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 it's, it's, def- that's what it's derived from, Messiah complex, but this is like a messianic uh, delusion. So he thought in his mind he was doing a good thing or God's work. That's to get, right. rid, of this, get, That's to get right. rid of this evil entity among them in the prison. Exactly. Well, you know what? I don't know how far from the truth that is. <laughs> I really, this guy it. was nothing less than an evil, uh, satanic, well, I don't know how else to, whatever you call this guy. You know, this is not a human being. This man is a, just a monster, a true monster, a true life monster. So, yeah, I mean, you should get, like I said before, they should give this guy Scarver an award. <laughs> my yeah, opinion. he did get he did get rid of uh, you know some real uh, evil there. You know, um, this guy also, uh, you know, was very very uh, disgusted with Dahmer because he felt that a lot of people in prison are repentant, and he, I guess, was repenting. For killing his wife, he was very sorry that he did kill his wife when he was under the influence of alcohol. And I think that's where he really started to get this, uh, you know, this message from a higher power, God, if you will, that uh, he needed to eliminate this evil. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, he did. And, and this, this, uh, Scarver guy, Christopher there, I mean, he's a pretty big guy, and he, mm-hmm. had, he had that metal bar, and he just went to town on both of these guys and killed them. You know, there's no, uh, you know, no question about it. He, uh, he wasn't fooling around. He was in a fit of rage, and he felt in his heart of hearts, like something you mentioned earlier, he's destroying evil. 
Do we know why he's just coming forward now? This was like 20 years ago he killed them, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, he, they didn't say why. Mm. Uh, I guess, you know, maybe uh, from getting some counseling and being put on the proper meds in prison, mm-hmm. you know, to help with the schizophrenia that he's decided to talk and come forward a little bit and talk about it. I mean, who yeah. knows? I well, mean, I this, this man's very sick himself. This man's I, 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 get that. I, I, I get that. I don't hear him apologizing, though. You know what I mean? No, he's not apologizing at all. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't think he – see, that tells me something about him. Well, yeah. I think he, he truly believes he did the right thing, and I'm not sure he didn't. You know, he saved the taxpayers a lot of money and uh, probably rid the world of um, who knows what would have happened to him. I guess he would have just, you know, collected tax dollars in a jail cell for uh, who knows how much longer in life. But yeah. Anyway, that, go ahead. Yeah, and it's something you said earlier. You know, he would tell the guards, I bite, you know, and guards would, like, jump away from him. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and and this Scarver guy was watching this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, so so Dahmer was playing it up to the hilt. Yeah. You know how bad he was and, you know, what kind of serial killer he was on the outside. But you know what, Leo? What I don't that? believe that that for one minute that Dahmer wasn't scared. I think Dahmer was so scared in there. That it's not even funny. I think he he did he he created this kind of behavior to intimidate the guards and these other prisoners because he was really afraid of them. You know, Diamond was a pretty smart guy. You know, yeah. he had a high IQ. Yeah. So I, I think he was using this as a ploy to really hide his fear. You that know, makes, that makes sense. It does make sense. But uh, that's, apparently it didn't work. <laughs> it did it? It backfired on him. Yeah, Mr. Scarver didn't get scared. And you know, if you read the piece, you can see where Scarver said that once he started to confront Dahmer, Dahmer started to head for the door. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he wanted Dahmer didn't want no part of this guy. When yeah. he saw this guy was going off, Dahmer didn't want any part of him. He wanted out the door. Well, guess what? What goes around comes around. All the fear and torment that Dahmer put his victims through, he ended up going through because he was scared to death and he couldn't get out that door. And Mr. Scarver here beat him to death. Jailhouse justice, John. Jailhouse justice. That's how it goes. Karma. Karma, man. Karma. There you go. Well, listen, I think we're about out of time for this show. We want you all to visit our website, please, at uh, crimeandreason.com. CrimeandReason.com. Check it out. And we'll be back next week, John. No? Oh, yeah. We'll be back next week. We have some exciting stuff coming up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And please stay safe out there. Yes, indeed. Have a good week.